Hello, and welcome to the Three Wise DMs podcast, where three dungeon masters who've been doing this for way too long talk about how we handle all the tricky ins and outs of running a game of D&D or whatever else you might play. I'm Thorin, and like my namesake from The Hobbit, I suppose I'm leading this expedition. And I'm joined by... Tony and Dave. Well, we have a really special edition tonight. Oh, boy. Just recently, Watsi has announced that it is changing the way it handles races. It is removing the idea that humanoid races can have a negative, automatic negative to their intelligence and evil alignment, instead moving towards the idea that every humanoid race, otherwise every playable character race, is basically individually chosen. So... They're moving away from the idea that basically all a race can be evil for obviously uh, because of the impact that has on some of the players of the game. So today we're going to talk a little bit about that and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, how DMs can adjust to some of the knee-jerk reactions, to some of the knee-jerk storytelling reactions they might have to that. And in general, kind of what we do to try to, you know, kind of increase diversity and, and, and try to have a diverse games at our own tables. So, guys, where do we want to start here? What do you, what, what do you think? Where do you think is a good spot to kick off, Dave? Just to apologize for anything that we say that could be used against us in a court of law, possibly. <laughs> That's an excellent place uh, to start. <laughs> I don't no, think I think I think it's a good uh, because we we talked about this a little bit uh, already. Uh, it's obviously been in the zeitgeist right now, and um, I think it's an important conversation. Yeah, it's just uh, yeah. it's it's a little tough because we all know what the elephant in the room and we don't want to, like, you know, step on its toes. So but I think this has been something that uh, not just Watsi, but D&D as a whole has been holding and has been dealing with for a long time. Uh, there have been a lot of people talking about it and they've been making steps already. Watsi has uh, they did with the Drist novels. Um, I remember stuff even back in like third edition and fourth edition that was already starting to move towards that. Right. You even see that now in fifth where it's uh, what is it? It's like um, uh, elves are generally chaotic. Good. You know, half orcs are generally. So they already are starting to with like alignment and stuff start to kind of push away. But it's it's yeah. interesting to me. I, I kind of want to see how it plays when you're able to really just open up my my person so i'm not like oh well i want to be a half belt because i get that bump in charisma but i want you know so who knows <laughs> yeah and i would say you know it's not that i'm not at all worried about worried about the trial of a, of, of a legal trial but man the court of public opinion around this right now could be Ooh. deadly Ooh. <laughs> so ah. we're gonna, it's it does seem like it's been kind of a long time coming and, and tony what do you what are your uh, what are your kind of initial thoughts on this so, you guys, if you were sitting at my table right now and I said you're walking through the woods and then mm -hmm. you turn a corner and you run into a six foot six orc, he has iron armor, he has fur, he has a battle axe on his shoulder, and he looks surprised to see you. Now, right there, there's immediately a set, a set of assumptions that may or may not go with my description. That right. the orc is an evil creature because since the beginning of the, the game, Literally, at its organic roots, orcs have been evil. But I want to say, not necessarily. In my game, recently, you've come across a couple of trolls that will interact with you and talk to you. You could wind up killing the clue or the informant. <laughs> we and, negotiated and, through both of those trolls. We yeah, talked we, to them. We, they we, were we, pretty we, chill dudes, I thought. Well, ultimately, <laughs> you know, uh, whether you're bribing them or drinking their nasty swill that they brought with them um, – you know, you can earn the respect and uh, maybe learn something you didn't otherwise. Yeah. Um, so there's a uh, I, I feel like that the situation can be problematic because we're typecasting a lot of things. I found in a lot of stories as I'm telling stories, it's very difficult because they throw out and say, like, for example, vampires are evil. In previous editions, they hammered that. Now, Stephanie Myers may disagree with you, but, <laughs> you know, and race may agree with her. I don't know. Um well, I mean, they are. An, I, I don't I mean, being an apex predator that doesn't necessarily make you evil or good. It, you're just an apex predator. Right. It just becomes a matter of are they hungry? But then again, I mean, you can go here, you can go to the zoo and you don't react to every tiger you see like they're evil. I mean, you're just hoping they're not hungry. I do. I would do react by my butthole clenching, though, anytime <laughs> I'm near him, because anytime you're, you're near something that big, that primal fear comes up real quick. I'll tell you what. But, you know, it's and it's Antonio, it's it's uh, that's actually kind of where I start with this, too, because 
I remember an incident in one of your games some time ago, so many years ago now, where we came across the grave of an orc with a uh, spear of elven slang. And I was like, and I, I, I wanted to, I remember kind of my reaction was I wanted to investigate a little more, see what the deal was here, what's around here. And a lot of the other players went right to, no, he's an orc, he's evil, burn, burn that, destroy the spear, all evil, 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 evil. And I'm going to be honest, I did come away a little bit with, you know, gee, my friends sure don't have a problem judging by race, you know, and that wasn't, you know, they talk about the whole group. And I did argue again, we had, a, there was a whole discussion that night about, well, can you just assume the orcs are evil? Yeah, they're orcs, they're evil. That was kind of the, that was kind of the prevailing notion. And here, Watsi's pushing back on that. And I'm really glad because I do hate when I'm in a story and, you know, it's that kind of presentation. The DM presents a monster that is this race, especially one of the humanoid races, where you theoretically there's a lot of politics there, right? Maybe the orcs are raiding the elves, but what do the elves do to the orcs? How do they conflict? You know, what is the reason behind that hatred rather than just orcs are boring, stupid, and evil, and we must wipe them all out? Because that kind of thinking does kind of play into, you know, we should, as a as a people, we should not be so e it should not be so easy for us to apply traits to an entire race. But at the same time, Watsi is drawing a line here too with the gnolls, because Watsi is saying all gnolls are evil, but they're changing gnoll, they're removing gnoll from humanoid, and they're making gnolls fiends everywhere except Eberron, where the gnoll does show up as a as a normal political cultural race. Because oh, yeah, they are listed, their whole lore is that they're in essence based from a from a demon spawn kind of thing. Yes, of, you know, you, you yeah. yeah. Well, uh, but Thorin, to your point too, I think that that's uh, I actually kind of I I like it too. I'm very much behind what Watsi wants to do, um, because if nothing else. I think what it does for, uh, one, the, the diversity at the table and, and mm. you know, allowing more people to say, oh, I want to see what this is about and play, but also to make better storytelling, because what do we see now? You know, we see things like Maleficent. We see things yeah. like Once Upon a Time, where we're taking it. We see things like Grimm, right? All these shows and movies that I thought were great, because I love when they're taking these, these, these fairy tales that we know back to front and they're saying nope and they flip it on its head and we go whoa whoa there's a whole nother story there because she's not just the evil witch she has a whole story and you can yeah. you can agree or disagree but you know is it necessarily wrong but i think it improves the storytelling like tony was saying in his game yeah i actually had in one of my stories thorny you may remember this this was really back in the day where your party came across a village of gnolls and they actually weren't hostile. And I think the resolution to that situation was you wound up trading with them and it improved the uh, the situations between that village and your lord. But yes, I completely agree, Dave. Um, especially, you know, we've been gaming for a long time. We can't, you know, use the, the same material, the same shicks and all these things like that. One of the things we in our earlier talks we had is we don't want all the creatures to be exactly the same statistically we certainly don't want them all personality wise because it's dry i don't want a monster to walk in and you're like uh yeah gelatinous cube cr bah 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 all right we should be able to take this out in two rounds it sucks the magic out of our game and we need that mm. that's a good that's an interesting yeah. take on it yeah that it that it doesn't keep that it keeps that question there that mystery right and, you know, there's a real world element to this, too, which is, you know, your world to be alive and to feel alive, your creatures, your other races, your humanoid races need to have motives beyond the blanket. Well, he's evil, so he's going to try to kill you. There needs to be reasons there. And I take this back even historically, you know, even historically in the real world, you, can, you know, obviously people are not born anything. You know, we're not born with anything more than a color of skin and a set of circumstances and parents who raise us and, and that stuff. Um, but at the same time, if I look back historically, there are certain groups I would label tentatively as evil. Uh, a really great example, I think, who've gotten they've gotten a great PR job since, but Vikings. Now, <laughs> great PR job. Oh boy, Vikings have gotten the best PR job in history. And I don't get me wrong, I like Vikings. I like the culture. I aesthetic. I, I like I like the religion. It's interesting. It's got this really different way of looking at things. But yeah. if you look at like what the Viking Raiders did at Lindisfarne, the Vikings were fucking evil, <laughs> no doubt about it. But here's the thing: the Vikings, Viking 
is a job. It is a name for a class of people. Viking is very much like the word pirate. It's something people go to do. You become a pirate like you would become a shipwright. You become a Viking like you would become a like you would become a farmer. Now it is culturally like there's certain people who can be Vikings and there's you know there's there's other things involved in it, but it is it is not a blanket description of the entire of the entire uh, 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 of all the people who live in that area or all the people who are who have that genetic lineage. It's nothing to do with genetics. It is these are people who have chosen to do things, but frankly, I'm going to label as evil. Uh, but those are individual choices. So it's not that all the Swedes were evil, right. but the Vikings, I will argue the Vikings for the most part, depending on who you're talking about, but you're talking about like the raiding Vikings who hit Lindisfarne in England, killed everyone, took everyone else's slaves, did all the raping they could possibly do. They're evil. Like that's an evil thing to do. And I don't care kind of what kind of cultural relativity I can apply to that. It's still evil. But that's not a racial evil. It's not a societal. It's not. It's not that there's that they're evil by birth. It's that that was a choice those that that particular generation of Vikings made that made sense to them. And you, know, you can make some arguments that culturally there's maybe some reasons why you wouldn't necessarily label it total evil. But you know, tell yeah. that to the English. And then <laughs> take it. And then you can take that idea too, because I like that with the the job idea, right? And you could flip that right back into the fantasy world. And let's not even go with racial stuff now with orcs and drow and all this. Let's just talk about like a rogue, right? Which originally was thief, right? The thief class. Now it's the rogue sure. class. And not every single rogue is picking the pockets of the entire party and wanting to break into every house. You know, sometimes right. they're the swashbuckler. Sometimes they're the Han Solo figure. Sometimes they're the right. So we allow a level of openness with even the classes, you know, different types of fighters, different types of, you know, uh, whatever. Uh, so why not with with the with the races as well? I forget somebody had written too, and if it she said something like if it allowed a. Uh, a himbo dragonborn cleric or something, and she was all about it. Something <laughs> was just like some crazy thing. But yeah, I like that idea of like the job though, right? It's not about the people. I mean, we can even go into like, you know, I mean, let's let's not go too deep into it, but some of the worst atrocities. I mean, it's not like being a German is evil, you know? But right. There's there some many, big, there were, uh, there's some there were Germans there that's evil. Yeah, but there were yeah. Germans who chose to be exactly. who chose to be Nazis. There were different levels. There were Germans who supported the Nazis, and there were Germans who actually did the Nazi stuff. You know, yeah. and it's you know it's uh it's not it's not about the race. It's not about how you were born. It's about the decisions the individual made, which are influenced by kind of the decisions that people around them are making. So there is a there's a living history. There's a living history element to this that I think any living world has to have. No one is born evil, but they might choose to become evil. They might be told to become evil. Those are things you can play with in your story. So you can still have a band of raiders that is mostly orcs, although maybe they have some other races thrown in, who, because they're raiders, are evil. They're not evil because they're orcs. They're evil because they've chosen a lifestyle that is raiding and pillaging villages. That's what makes them evil, not mm. the, not the, what they're born by. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I think that's really important, not just to this, not, not just to kind of uh, the world we live in, although it's important for that, too. But it's also just good world building. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Much like in Tony's game, where we were able to talk our way through some trolls, which I feel might have been a bit of a difficult fight because trolls can be pretty goddamn tough. <laughs> although I guess we do have to wonder what, you know, how many people do the trolls go on to eat after we decided not to kill them? Rabbit hole. That's a different episode. But you know, but I mean, the trolls have a motivation too. The trolls aren't born necessarily evil. They're born hungry. I mean, they're hungry, and you happen to be on the menu. It's yeah. We were talking. You know, is a tiger like we were saying? Is the tiger evil, or is the tiger just see you as food? Tiger, you know, tiger generally. (laughs) Unless I mean, they're a star. You know, I mean, a moral upstand, a a moral upstanding spider is evil to the fly, right? He's a good church-going spider. He's a pillar of the community. He's a web that holds us all together. And until you're a fly, and that fly's getting eaten. <laughs> Perspective does play in. I mean, that's the, the trickiest part about alignment is, like in, in your day, game, Dave, I have Hannibal, the Hannibal, the cannibal druid, who uh, Hannibal grew up in. Uh, Hannibal grew up in a uh, town that was in a druid kind of conclave, kind of a kind of a commune 
well, was slaughtered by people. So now he hates people and he grew up in the wild and he just totally identifies with the beast and he does eat people. And there was a real question. How do I align? How do I put an alignment on this guy? Is he evil or is he neutral? Is he good? He probably thinks of, his, of himself as chaotic. Good. I think in the game I made him chaotic neutral. Um, that's a good one to uh, to be able to let yourself do things. <laughs> it's chaotic <laughs> neutral. That's how I usually play it. That is a little bit of of perspective based morality, right? To him, he doesn't see him. He doesn't he doesn't see people as part of his group. He doesn't see he sees himself as a predator, not as people, um, for for reasons that you know are fairly good. But a lot of people say that's an evil character. Uh, I try to play him. Pretty, he has his own morality. Anyone who's a partner of his, anyone who's in his pack is is not food. Anyone who's in his pack is very loyal to. Right, but That's, again, you know, based upon what what the story is too, because I put you within a uh, a civilization, um, a kingdom that was very much based, very you know, very Roman uh, mm-hmm. in that way. But so they they're slavers. They are, you know, they are uh, you know, linked with uh, Asmodeus, right? They're they're a devil worshiping kind of thing. So has nothing to do with the individual people. They're just, you know, shitty as a group, which most times people are, I guess, right? It's it's all the choices that make them evil, and that's what it comes down to. Is everyone in that society, everyone in that in that evil empire you're describing, is an yeah. individual making different choices for different reasons? And if you can capture that. You can do the evil empire. You can do the raiding. You can do the raiding work parties. But it's that it comes from what the individuals do, not from some sense of well, they're just born that way. Hmm. What do you think, Tony? It's uh, you know, we, we we've been going on about our campaigns over here. I remember <laughs> back in the day, I had a thief then. He was a thief at the time. He was not a rogue. Um, a roguish I, thief. Well, no, I, he was going to be an explorer. That when I conceptualized this character, he was going to go out and be like that Indiana Jones kind of character. And the DM I had at the time was not a regular DM, and he was trying to railroad me in this thievery nonsense. Like, oh, you you have an opportunity to break into these houses. I'm like, that's dumb. I'm not interested <laughs> in that. Isn't that what Skyrim did? Well, I mean, yeah, but, you know, you could also steal everything in an entire room and stuff it in your backpack and leave. But that's another whole conversation. Yeah, but that DM really typecast me. He's like, you're a thief. You should be breaking into houses. You should be smuggling. You should be doing this. I should be doing that. And I'm like, nah. I'm you back let me play my character, DM. Yeah, I know. If you see, no, then get the hell out. You know what's really not fun? Being a level two character and having my ass thrown in prison. That seems like a really soft ending to my uh, to my character arc. You know what's so funny with that, Tony, is like that's literally like the, the Slaver's Bay thing we were just talking about with uh, Thorne's Hannibal character. Uh, his friend Kevin's in that game, too, plays a rogue. And like I'm so far from first edition now. Right. It's been years and years. So I, I'm fifth and right storytelling it's the rogue so he could be it and i was actually kind of surprised when he wanted to be the old school thief and he wants to like pick pockets and he's breaking in that and i'm like oh shit i have to start writing this in now i don't even like i you know back in the day opposite that was a horrible mechanic so you're like a low-level thief, and you're everyone in your party's like, yeah, go pick that guy's pocket. Go look at those old charts. Dude, you are horrible. Like, nothing. seriously, I have a better chance picking your pocket, running up to you full speed, jamming my hand in your pants. <laughs> and I'm like, did you notice? <laughs> oh, I, I, mean, I, mean, I missed his wallet. I got his keys, and I'm going to fall dead right now, and I run into a door. You had such a low chance to do all these things. You couldn't possibly do half of these skills you had properly for a number of levels. Um, and then it got ridiculous. Then it's like, okay, I'm hiding in shadows in broad daylight with seven people watching me. <laughs> I'm gone, but I digress. Um, Go rob that house. Wait, no, what the hell are you talking about? I have two hit points. Yeah, no, and you actually know, in that campaign, that was a DM who would like to have you make checks like every five feet. And I'm like, no. F this. I'm not making a, a, a stealth check every time well, I you, step on a floor tile. Like, old, that was the old school. If you go back to those original uh, modules, uh, things like Village of Hamlet and stuff, right? The towns in them are so beautifully, beautifully de- designed. Like uh, Matt Colville, I said this in my one article. 
He literally will just reskin it, the one from Hamlet, because it's already there. But he said the weirdest thing about the old modules is they list every piece of valuable stuff this guy or lady has in their place <laughs> and exactly where you find it. Because they Gygax expected every thief to go break into people's houses and rob them blind. And you want to talk about traumatized players and DMs. Well, hang on. So all the... I came into one town that reminded me of the first town in Ultima on the basic Nintendo. I don't know if you played this game, but the point stands that they're like, oh, no, our kingdom is in peril. Great warriors of light. You must save us. And then one of the like, guys in my party like steals, I don't know, something ridiculous out of the shop. And all of a sudden, here comes the most badass guards ever. And I'm like... <laughs> How is your kingdom in danger? You've got like nine guys protecting this town in this in this quadrant with 80 hit points each. Hey, they can clean up these orcs with no trouble at all. I mean, I will like, say that is hard. That's hard to do sometimes to balance out like, wait, why exactly are the town guards not taking care of this issue? Why the hell am I clearing out the basement? Yeah, these town guards were like the absolute green beret, super decorated nine campaign guys. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> don't don't spit on the ground. No, no, mm-mm. we're good. I'm the most well-behaved thief in the universe. Um, did Watsi, I wanted to ask, I didn't have a chance to look at this. Are they, um, did they discuss how mechanically they're going to address the issue with race? Because, I mean, the simplest, bit, the bit, simplest yeah. fix I was thinking without reading the article was, I mean, just don't assign, assign penalties in certain areas. I mean. Well, they're doing two things. Number one is that, um, so they already have two modules out there. They have the Eberron deals with orcs and gnolls and goblins differently, where they're not evil and they got rid of the intelligence penalties. Uh, and I believe that um, uh, Wildmouth does as well. Yeah, that's so Matt Mercer's stuff with the yeah. with the drow. I will say what he did with the drow and monstrous races was pretty awesome. So if anybody is any old old gamers or people that are like, oh my god, what are you doing? Why are you, we can't have bad guys anymore? Go check out some of the season two of Critical Role and what he did with uh, the 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 drow and monstrous races as their own uh, their own country. And they're just trying to, like, survive while the human empire is straight up just trying to annihilate them. Yeah. So you know, that's that really, stuff. And to me, that's almost the biggest takeaway. But it's a world-building takeaway. It's a takeaway to learn about our world. And it's a takeaway just for why are they doing this and how can – if this if this is a problem, here's a DM. How do you handle it? No villain should be bad because they were born bad. You know, unless they're like yeah. the, 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 the scion of some prophecy or something. Every villain has to have, should have individual motivations. You know, you need to know why your villains are doing these things. And it's not because they were born that way. You know, it's because there's some, there's some, there's something mechanical. Either they, they want something real bad or they need something or they're lacking something or, you know, or maybe they do worship a God who's just a man that they just go sacrifice children. I and mean, they're deciding to do that because they like worshiping that God. But these are individual choices. Now, the other thing they're doing, which is pretty interesting. So they're going to, with reprints of the other core books, they're going to change these things they're saying. So every time they reprint the player's handbook, they make little changes. And one of those little changes should be uh, some of these sorts of things. Or I guess the orc might not be in player's handbook, but wherever it is. Half um, orc is. Half yeah. orc is, yeah. But they're taking away the bonuses and negatives and allowing you to put those bonuses or negatives on, in essence, any race, right? That's no, how I was reading it. No? no. Well, so that's coming. So they're not taking away any bonuses. They're just getting rid of the negative. And I don't, I don't know offhand how the Wild Mount orc works or how the Eberron. I don't, I don't have the Eberron book in front of me. Um, but I think it's kind of balanced in a different way. Uh, but what they're doing then is they're coming out with a new product later on this year that they have not announced yet, but it will provide a way for you to pick basically. Uh, customize your races. So do you remember the player's option, the player's option books for second edition, where you sure. basically could make your race kind of whatever you wanted. They had, I don't, they use character point systems to take whatever advantages and disadvantages you wanted. They let you customize the mm -hmm. way your race, basically, basically customize the, the bonuses your race gave you. They're going to do something like that in an upcoming release later this year. And they say it hasn't been announced yet, but it's in the works. With that, I have to say any, I'm for anything that really allows the player to let their creativity out. And mm. if I said this in a previous po podcast, I apologize. 
I remember I was actually um, I wanted to create a character. This is years ago. This is maybe more than 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. I'm like, all right, conceptualize a character. He had dragon blood. He was a character infused with the power of a dragon and he was in some class and I wanted that to be his shtick. And they were like, no, no, you got to be a dragonborn in fourth edition. And I'm like, and like, what does that mean? Okay, that's cool. Like, no, no, you need to have a big dragon nose and a big dragon tail. I'm like, that, I don't really want that. That's what I'm like, not working for me and the girls. I think I was the DM who didn't let you do that, actually, because we were in fourth edition. I was that asshole. And then the, the best part about this is Skyrim then came out, and they're like, oh, yeah, you're the dragonborn, and you're shouting guys <laughs> off the cliffs and stuff. Your uh, fossil <laughs> dying, bears into space. And you're like, see, that's what I wanted. Right? I'm like, oh, my God, tear came down my face. But that's beautiful. Like, you got it. You nailed it. Um, What's funny is actually Eberron already has a system for this. I don't know if you guys took a look at that Eberron book, but they have a thing called Dragon Marks. And Dragon Marks are clan, they're hereditary magical abilities passed down clans. But what they do is they replace a part of your race. So they've already played with a mechanic that does something like this. You can get a Dragon Mark that replaces certain of your race abilities with the Dragon Mark abilities. So, I mean, they've already, they're already playing with it right there. And Tony, that's, you you want it to be Dragon Marked, right? (laughs) I suppose it did. I just didn't have the words. We didn't have the tools at the time. We didn't but, I mean, have also, the language yet. <laughs> on a but, complete I mean, aside, but within this same realm, they are also starting to expand the Goliath race in the what's the upcoming, the rhyme of the Frost Maiden, uh, Icewind yeah. Dale one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Goliaths are going to figure in. So they're actually, they had to make some adjustments to the Goliath race to answer certain questions that were there. Huh. Yeah, yeah. That would be interesting. I don't think anyone in any of our games has played a Goliath yet, even though I hear it's like it's it's apparently a great race for like uh, a great race for barbarians, for fighters. No one's done it yet. Well, I will say that Roderick is able to turn into a Goliath, but I it's not really given me a lot. yet, So I haven't done it, but maybe one day I'll have to hulk out. (laughs) <laughs> there you go. You you need to like get mad like Bruce Banner and you know smash. <laughs> I think oh. I can get like five more hit points, so that's probably good. You know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Chris, what about, like, that does dovetail, Tony? You want you said you wanted to talk about alignment a little bit. Did we hit it, or do you have another point you wanted to make? Um, just that again, there was points in my in uh my gaming career where th- I got stuck with, well, no, like, I like, like, what if we had a vampire character? Cause again, we've been gaming for a long time for me to be like, I, you know, I'm a grizzled fighter from a backwater village who has a tragic backstory. It's old. I'm getting bored talking about it. So we gotta keep <laughs> spinning this and, and try different angles, new approaches to make this fresh and interesting. Like, why is this character interesting? I don't give a shit about its powers as much as is this a good character? That's absolutely the most important part of that. And at one point, we had talked about vampires. Like, what if there was a vampire character? And we could talk about the powers. Like, oh, we could do a template. Da, da, da. And the big problem was, <gasps> gasp. Vampires are all chaotic evil or the lawful evil, depending upon which system yeah. you're in. And to say something just they're all chaotic evil is nuts. That's like saying they're all versions of Heath Ledger's Joker from the second <laughs> Batman movie. Yeah, literally. And, yeah, that's yeah, literally I, it. Yeah. I would not be at a party with you for five seconds. There's absolutely no way. Like, I could be evil. I'm like, all right, yeah, let's go rob this bank, shoot some guards, and why Why are you stabbing that guy on the way to the bank robbery? Like, what the hell is – it's funny. Well, why oh, wouldn't you, you be able to be, like, the D&D version of Blade, right? <laughs> like, yeah, that's, that's an interesting piece of story and just template the vampire on somehow. Yeah. But, yeah. I'm for that, but I'm just saying that, that they came down and the, the rulings on that were hard. And they're like, no, like this is this is the framework that you have. Well, you, you uh, know, like I re- I really like they got rid of paladins all being lawful good. That was obnoxious. Oh yeah. my god! And we're talking yeah. about you want to talk about class expectations and assumptions. Every paladin, like I see, oh wait, you didn't spend ten hours a day on your knees praying and saving orphans. Like, well, it's like go back to the source material. Like the paladin is in essence like the Arthurian knight, right? Mm-hmm. And go read some Arthurian things. They're not lawful good. <laughs> they well, are screwed up and flawed and all kinds, of, you know. But the Arthurian knights get punished when they do those things. Lancelot, after he uh, after he leaves uh, with yes. Guinevere, he loses his power and he runs yeah, off into the woods for years does, after that. Yeah. And Arthur is injured because they've fallen. 
So, uh, yeah, I've actually. So I'm uh, gonna come no, yeah, you're all right. Okay. But hang on. Right. He did something truly dishonorable there. He cheated on his best friend's wife. He, they, he he got in the middle of their marriage. That was clearly a not lawful good act. It wasn't like he was a bad tipper. Yeah. Well, okay, but hold on. And then as a paladin in previous editions, I hated, like, all the other players were like, oh, uh, you're supposed to be lawful good. I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ. Like, do I have to do this mission for free, too? Like, you know, like, I'm level 10. I have $34 in my wallet. Like... I'm actually, I was a little bit on the fence about the Paladin. It's worked out as we've played it so far. I do like there to be a solid story roleplay reason that characters have abilities, though. And Watsi's moved away from that over the years. Like, you do have, like, I'm not, I'm still not entirely okay with this idea that a bard can cast basically Fireball because he sings good. I mean, there was a meme online. It's like, how does a wizard get his power? A wizard studies for decades, and then he can cast some spells. How does a sorcerer get her power? She has immense, she has immense strength of personality. She can shape magic to her will. How does a bard get his power? Doot, doot, magic flute. Magic flute. <laughs> okay. You know, it's okay. We can get into and how it's charisma awesome. is. Awesome. That's an attacking stat. That's a whole thing. Um, well, we'll say they also, as you get into it, though, as I've played it, my issues with these things have fallen away a lot by the way they limit what who has what powers. Because I will say, even though a wizard works harder to get the power in theory, like in, in roleplay, the wizard that pays off because the wizard has a broader selection of powers later on. Like, you can see how the wizard who studied magic winds up with a with the with a scientist level mastery of this and can use it better, whereas a sorcerer who does it through force of will can't master as much, but no, they can do different sure. things with it. Yeah. Sorry, I do want to. I I do want to um also throw out there that Watsi has created a lot more openness in the subject of there were back in the day like you had could only be certain classes if you were a certain race. Case in point, yeah. you couldn't mm. be an elf and a paladin. You certainly couldn't be a halfling paladin or a gnome paladin. That was right off the table. You well, had to be anything. human. You had to be human. You had only to be human barbarian, paladin. human paladin. Yeah. And like even certain races, you couldn't be like, there was no dwarven wizards in the earliest editions. Forget about that stuff, folks. Right off the table. Um, so they've opened that up. And I always felt like that was really putting us in a box i'm like so this guy's a dwarf and he can't possibly learn about mage spell huh no way what uh-huh. i do think you need to do a little bit though is when i hope that this system what the what the upcoming book does i hope is there should be a story reason why this character is a little bit different either that band of dwarves isn't so anti-magic as other bands of dwarves or they're more open to it or they're near or they grew or there's a there's a powerful wizard who helped them along or that character had something exception, exceptional in the backstory that allowed it better access to magic than your average dwarf like you should there should be internal world building story logic behind why a character or an npc winds up the way they do it shouldn't just be well you know it well, the player can want it to be that way, but then, the, then there should be something crafted around it to make it make sense as a character. No character power should be left totally alone without some sense of why it exists. Positively, and that's where we, as the DM, can work with the players as long as it's not imbalancing or throwing off the game. Now, of course, we've all been in a situation where I've showed up at game one and I looked at another player at the table and I was like, he can do what? Dot, 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 dot. Okay, I've been in that I get that. <laughs> yeah. I've said, I've said, you text about that. Like, uh, uh, Tony, what's going on here? <laughs> yeah, no, the, the, these second editions, power boundaries were kind of like comic booky at times. What can I say? Um, got, when second edition went on for more than a decade, a lot got added to it. We've talked about how everyone homebrewed some things, which is funny because we still wound up with certain things we were heavy on. Like, you know, no, 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 no. Drow or evil. That was like inviolate throughout second edition. But yet we changed so many things in the rules. I, you know, why wasn't that a thing? And then, of course, the I, most famous drow in the world is not evil. That's <laughs> how yeah, that works out. And I, I, I had a, a drow character who was a he was a rogue, a thief. A, he was actually a multi-class character who came from a drow kingdom that was not evil. And that was 20 years ago. And that didn't seem like a real stretch. It's not like you went to space, landed on a planet. And you're like, oh, shit, there's drow here. And they have a utopia and they're not satanic. Dave, what do you think? Um, I think that a lot of this. So when you read on the message boards about a lot of this stuff, uh, both of these are firestorms. Uh, the alignment has uh, you want to do go on to any freaking Facebook group. 
and start talking about alignment and you'll get 673 comments. Oh my God, people get so crazy. And now with the racial things, people are, but the thing is, is like, we keep talking about there's a, there's a certain tradition with D&D. Same thing with this stuff. Because in the very early days, elf was a class and also the race. Dwarf was a class and also the race. Oh, and by the way, because it's time for humans in Gary Gygax's world, and those those races are kind of dying away, uh, they can only go up to level nine. So what did most people do? They threw that shit out when they got to, no, your dwarf could go to level 20. Who cares? Whatever, right? They already were starting to to put this stuff together and homebrew in a way to allow the vampire character or whatever, right? So this new uh, – all Watsy's doing is trying to codify it a little bit to give a level of mechanic, but I don't think it's anything different than most people have probably been doing at their table, including the people that are so vociferously arguing against it, right? Yeah. They're probably the ones that are already doing it. They're probably playing a lawful good vampire character. Already, you know what I mean? Like they probably already got that guy in their party. It's just they're special. They don't let anyone else be special. They want to be special. Uh, Yeah, you know. So it, you know, I think there's a tradition of this happening. Anyway, the game evolves with itself, you know. And as opposed to something like uh, H.P. Lovecraft or something, uh, you know, you can still the game itself is continuing on past its early uh, limitations, right? Mm-hmm. That's an excellent point. Dude. If that like, makes sense game... with the Lovecraft thing, you know what I mean? Because like he was a racist son of a bitch, right? Like, and he didn't like people at all, generally speaking. Thorne is much more the expert on this, but it doesn't take away necessarily from what he created, you know, and put out there. But you know, you. I'd actually, as, as a big Lovecraft fan, I would argue part of the appeal of his work is the way it sheds light on what the racist mind does with its imagination. Because part of part and parcel of what Lovecraft does is to take this fear of the unknown, which is really kind of fear of fear of races and sexes. I don't know. And, and turn it, it into something. You're, yeah. you're really reading his fantasies about what might be happening. Oh, my God. What might their rituals be when they're dancing at night? And when you begin to understand uh, that, yeah, yeah. Lovecraft makes a lot more sense. When you understand that as the kind of the really the, the, the paranoid delusions of the paranoid justifications of a racist mind. Lovecraft makes a completely different kind of, kind of sense. Um, I'm sorry, but Tony, you were going to, uh, what were you going to say there? Okay. Going back. Yes, Dave. Um, the Hi. game absolutely needs to evolve. And if it doesn't, it's flat, it's dead. Mm-hmm. And you, that, that is literally as a critical component as anything like having good characters or having a compelling story. At all of your games, you should learn. There should be a couple of takeaways where the game could run better. Some rules could be tweaked. Um, and I have to say, there's some things that were back in the previous edition before I got into fifth. They were like, no, this is how it is. It's in black and white. It's, it's rules as written. And look, at fifth edition, they took that and threw it the hell out because it was crap. And I'm like, hey, that's good times. You know, one thing I do find interesting, though, is you see more and more players come out against alignment and i gotta tell you i always kind of liked alignment not as a terminative thing not as something to say hey your character is this alignment so you can't do that but i do feel like the nine box lawful neutral chaotic good neutral evil is a really useful way of thinking about a character's personality you know how do they relate to good and bad to good and evil in terms of their own internal morality versus how do they relate to 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 following the rules of society and how important that is. You know, that, if you can, if you can articulate, how do I feel about morality versus how do I feel about harmoniously following society? If you can put those things together, you actually have a really powerful system of describing how this character is going to interact. Um, and I noticed today there's been a real push to get rid of alignment or people to not use alignment um, because they feel like it is like just putting someone in a box. I don't know. I feel like it's a pretty flexible box though. If you really think about what it means. I've never been bothered by uh, by the alignment stuff. Uh, and the same way, I don't feel it's determinative. Oh, my God, you're lawful good. That means you have to work for free. That means you have to. No, it just means you have a certain code. You follow a law as opposed to chaos. And that could be the law of the city, the law of your patron, the law of your own personal code. Right. Um, so Dexter is lawful. Right. But he's also probably evil. Right. Or at least lawful neutral. Right. And then the, the, the difference between good and evil being 
do you care more about your fellow man or are you kind of out only for yourself? And within that box system, you kind of find something to have us playing sword and sorcery 50 <laughs> years later, right? Any thoughts on that, Tony? Yes, alignment, as I think I've said previously, was is easily the most hotly contested topic uh, it has been over the years of the games, honestly. You want to put 10 DMs in a room and ask them what they think about what a uh, chaotic neutral and a lawful neutral character should be doing, you will definitely get a different answer out of everybody. And if like, you watch a guy role play and be like, try to guess his alignment, you'll probably get half of them to guess completely different things that most of them are wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, if you're trying to, like, flesh out the personality of your character, then, yes, it absolutely can be helpful. In previous editions, and I keep going back to the history of things, um, if you didn't follow your alignment, you literally could lose a level, and that was some yeah, crap. Yeah. You, had to do, you had to do a tone, you had to have those cleric spells to handle that to get your level back, but if I'm like, if I went evil, I would lose a level. So, and, you know, if you're a 10th level fighter, what did I lose? 300,000 experience points? Like, no thanks, I won't be evil. It just makes more sense not to be. Well, really, you know, it's funny, because we think about it in that point of view, it really shows you how in the beginning they were really making this game for a gamer, and like a power gamer. The kind of guy who was going to sit down and just kind of do whatever was most advantageous for his character, regardless of what that character was. Like, I mean, this is really, and Gangax is building this for war gamers, to start, well, Gygax and Anderson are building this for war gamers to basically do a minis game with a little more depth. That's really where they're starting at. So from their point of view, I imagine it was that started with, you know, yeah, your character has an alignment and you got to play him by his alignment or we're going to penalize you. But the game's come so far since then. Now players, I mean, there's plenty of power gamers out there, but still, I think when I build a character, when I see most people build a character, they have a sense of who that character is and they on their own choose to play to that, not because of alignment. But I think within that box though, I do find alignment, you know, kind of how do they relate to, do they think it's important to follow the laws or not? And do they think it's important to do what's right or what is morally right or not? Are important things for defining yourself, kind of. Not so much for the game to keep you in line. One of the most disastrous moments I remember in a game was this is this was a earlier edition, and it was the first game of that campaign. And the DM at the end of the campaign, he granted everybody um, just enough XP that were close to a level, and then he started handing out awards based on how well he believed they played their alignment. Holy shit, what a disaster that was. I'm like, they're, they're fighting. All these people now are like, hey, that went great. Did we level up? And then he's like, uh, you did, and you did, but you didn't, and you didn't, and you did, and you did. Okay, great. And oh my God, I'm like, I'll be in my car. Like, I don't like was... the way you talk to that shopkeeper. You don't get a level. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's a. That happened. That That's was an a absolute train wreck in an opening game. And it's a shame because the game itself was fantastic. But that the handling of that one mechanic at the end, just the train just went right off the bridge, right into the ravine. Done. Well, talking about what we were saying earlier, too, about openness at the table, that's a real crappy way to go about it, because I don't know if I'd want to – if that was the opening game, I don't know if I'd want to come back to that it. That was an opening game. Yes. you got to tell them ahead of time if you're going to do it. I mean, it's not it's, – it's a, it's a tricky, controversial thing to do, but if you're going to do it, you better tell them ahead of time. Yeah, man. Woo! Hey, we'd love to go over uh, gaming uh, bloopers on the gag reel that we've experienced over our careers, and – you know, hopefully we've all we can all learn from some of these things. But, yeah, that was uh, that that and I tell you. And I, what's really I find really interesting, psychologically speaking, is when you're in a room and people are getting hot in real life. It isn't like <laughs> my character's mad. I'm like they're getting their like, voices are getting raised. They're pissed off. And I'm like, OK, well, I'll be in the bathroom. <laughs> but, you know, oh. that makes in, in some ways, it always sounds ridiculous, but it makes some sense because we are investing in the game. When you get together and play a day of D&D, and you come out of that day of D&D feeling like, okay, well, that was ruined because of what they did, what the DM decided to do at the end, I think, you, you know, you've got a right to be a little angry about it. I, I, th I think that's entirely out of reason. You know, you're invested. It depends, because there's also a philosophy there, and then, you know, but where does that cut? Like, if your character mm -hmm. dies, or something like that. You know, or you get blasted by a trap or you get snuck by a really rough encounter and, and you get wiped out. I mean, 
I, I've been in games where I've played the whole game. We grinded. Like, we are grinding. We're, like, getting, like, 10 XP, 15 XP. I'm like, come on. And then, like, one person gets a great magical item. And I'm like, slow clap. That's great for you, bro. <laughs> That's great. I bet you'd be talking about that all week. All I'm right. I'm, I'm just going to stand here with my copper sword and... Thumbs up. That's 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 great. <laughs> oh Christ! So you know this all kind of does uh, lead us to the to, to the kind of maybe the harder question, which is diversity at the table. And one of the tricky things about making D and D games diverse is that so many of us play with our friends. You know, and how diverse is your play group? Now, as we talked about, it, you know, we talked about it. There's only really been kind of one uh, one person of color who's joined the game. On the other hand, many of our games have a lot of age diversity and a lot of ability diversity. We have people who, you know, are older, younger, handicapped, but still pretty much, pretty much pretty pale. Yeah. We're, a lot we're, of we're women at the table group. too. A lot of women at the table. A lot table. of women. Yeah. Yeah. About, about 50, 50 in a lot of cases. Um, so it's, it's hard though. Cause you know, if you want to have a diverse game, but you're also trying to game with your friends, where does that balance out? Maybe just we know all need to be have more diverse friend groups. <laughs> well, I think that's kind of what it's showing, right? Yeah. Is how it's st- we're still kind of around. I will say when I see uh I see people are you know they'll be sharing to uh to one of the groups or something and it'll be a watch party of somebody doing a live session and it'll be somewhere in like I don't like somewhere in South America, right? And they're playing D and D and going crazy, but it's all. You know, it's all Brazilians, right? Is that? But the diversity of the the industry as a whole, the game the game culture as a whole is in, is increasing. You know, yeah. Uh, just because there's groups that uh, they were in prison together and started playing D and D in prison, and then they continued when they got out, which is a crazy story. I actually read the article of. Uh, yeah, I don't have any former convicts in my game, but that's awesome that it's going to there, right? Or, you know what's you funny know. is when I worked at Inquest, we used to get all sorts of letters from prisoners who played Magic in the in, in played Magic the Gathering in prison, and they used oh, to send wow. scrolls questions all the time. It was hilarious. Oh wow! When I was uh, overseas and uh, I was on vacation back in the day, I ran into uh, my uncle had a friend who had a son, and they played Dungeons and Dragons. And I had a character I was playing, and I was like level five, and like most of them could all speak English. And they're like, you want to play? I'm like, you know I want to play, but you guys are level nine. They're like, all right, well, you don't have to do any heavy lifting. It's fine. So, like, <laughs> I kinda, like, and that was great. I came back from vacation. I'm like, hey, guys, I'm level seven. And they're like, what? <laughs> this happened. You know, it's funny. You talk about playing overseas. So I spent a year in Holland. I, I lived and worked in Holland for a year. And. I actually brought my D&D books with me to Holland. Now, we didn't know if we were coming back. We thought we might have been there for good. So so I wasn't planning on like, hey, I'm only going for a year and coming back. We was, I was actually, I'd moved there. Um, but I did teach a friend to play Dungeons and Dragons, uh, one, of my, one of my coworkers in Holland, to play Dungeons and Dragons. We hung out and played a little bit. It's one of the things I've thought about everywhere I've gone, when I went to college, when I went to Holland, when I came back, I've always used D&D as a way to, to, to have fun to escape a bit and to connect with other people. Like in, in college, my roommates, I always want to play D and D with my roommates. Some of the best times I had were just kicking around and playing Dungeons and Dragons with my roommate. It was literally, Hey, it's a Sunday. We've got nothing to do. You want to play some D and D? Sure. I'm cracking out the, I'm, I'm ad libbing an adventure. They've got player. They've got a player character. We're moving along. You know, it's, it is a great way to kind of build connections and make friends and have something to do that is bonding. Because it's not just like you're not playing competitively. It's a cooperative kind of thing. It's something where you're building a relationship. You're having fun together towards similar goals. So it's really good for that. It's just a matter of kind of what situation you deploy it in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember uh, back in the day, um, we used to play in my buddy's basement. And this is really a shocking scenario, right? And uh, we constantly had a game going on. And periodically people would come in and out. And some of them weren't necessarily part of the regular group. And we'd suck somebody into the game. I'm like, here you go. We're rolling up a character. You're going to play with this. And I got a really, out of a basically completely new player, we gave him a pre-generated character. And he was he's on this adventure with us. And we were fighting a dragon in this scenario. It was like an adult dragon. And I believe it was like a green dragon. And... His name was Matt, and Matt's like, so I'm a monk, and I'm attacking a dragon. 
with a bow staff. He's not letting and this monk thing go. No, no, no. no, no <laughs> is he completely stop the dragon? No, but hear me out. He's like, I'm attacking a dragon. And like, and we're like all hardcore gamers. We're like, we're really into it. He's like, and he's attacking, we're attacking a dragon with a wooden staff. And I'm like, oh my God, that's absolutely ridiculous. You're right. Like out of the mouth of this completely inexperienced guy, like my continuity just like got, got derailed. I'm like, this is absolutely asinine. <laughs> You're like, out of the mouth of babes. Hey, no one yeah. likes getting hit with a stick, not even a dragon. Yeah, yeah. but it's like, he really swings it really hard, man. Oh yeah, he hits him in a really tender I mean, place on. between his thick plates. It's used. Come on, stop. Yeah, he's throwing hurricanes, Dave. Sure, yeah. Okay. But no, I mean that's that's true too with what Thorne was saying. I I found that as well. I mean, uh, you two guys right here, right? Actually, me, uh, me and Tony too. Me and me and uh, me and you became friends through exactly. gaming. Really, we got exactly. closer. We we were acquaintances before. But me and Tony also. I literally met Tony because his best friend was dating a close, like a like a like a virtually a relative of mine, and that dude pulled me into playing their game, and that's how I met Tony. Yeah. Absolutely. This whole and group I mean, is connected I, through Dungeons and Dragons. I was yeah. already dating Bonnie at the time, but uh, she started playing, and she's super. It's, it's, she didn't just play just because I like to play. Now she's super into it too, right? She's even yeah. now taking it into her internship with counseling and starting to work with the boys home, playing some D and D with the kids who want to play, who really are into it, because role playing has shown such amazing potential uh, rehabilitatively. Right, should, you know, because of playing a role, you know. We should, we should pull her in and talk about that on the show because I have that is something where it's made a lot of strides, and there yeah. are therapists to use that in practice. And I'd love to hear more about how that goes. I mean, obviously it's just starting right now, but yeah, yeah I'd love to hear kind of how how she feels it's working out. Me too. I ask every week. <laughs> so <laughs> my girlfriend does not play. However, we can fix she's that. gonna get sucked into this. She'll get sucked into this eventually. So, but we she's talk about. Yeah. So no, it's going to happen once, you know, we're out of the, you're really, you know, into the safe zone here. But, um, with that said, I explained to the sequel, why do you play a, and I try to explain to her, I'm like, you know what, this has really been going on for more of my life than it hasn't. And it's brought people together. It's got friends to meet in situations where we wouldn't do it. There's no way you're going to get people together to meet up every other or every week or every other week or once a month or whatever for a whole year. Like it's sports yeah, aren't going to do like that. Four or five hours at a pop too. No way. Yeah. And you create these memories. And now I'm, we're all at an age here where I'm gaming with my, my buddies from freaking high school and college. I'm playing with their children. They're at the table. <laughs> I'm these giant games. I mean, so it's, sometimes it's, it's, they're running the game. <laughs> it's, and some of them some of them know more about the game than i do and i'm like oh my god wait where are you wait what page what, what book like what like you just sit around and read this like all day long you do because i was that person at that age who read every freaking book nine times yeah. just so i could have that moment so i could show somebody like aha look it's it's that thing oh uh, yes hours of lonely fun i had with the dd books yes i mean and that's why i'm just glad that they are that, that is why i'm glad for these changes being made because it is such a, a connecting factor. And to get back to kind of what we started talking about here and the, and the changes D and D's making to race and that really have the overall goal to make things more accessible and less alienating, you know, so that no one yeah. really comes into the group feeling like, Hey, I kind of identify with that. And, and it, and it, it kind of, and it kind of insults me, you know, and I'm glad they're doing that because I don't know of a more bonding unifying game than Dungeons and Dragons. It's just been great for that over the years throughout my whole life. You know, gaming with people of all ages, gaming, you know, with, with basically meeting new people and pulling them in. You know, it's nothing like uh, nothing like pulling someone into D&D who used to be cool. <laughs> <laughs> Abandon all hope. And from a, and from well, a I just watched um, I just watched the uh, I, if, if anybody hasn't, I would I would highly recommend it. Uh, it's called Secrets of Blackmore uh, documentary on yeah. uh, you can find it on Amazon Prime. Um, but a documentary about uh, Dave Arneson and his Blackmore campaign setting. And in essence, it shows you all of the lead up of over 10 years prior to him and Gygax even meeting and how he was already building a lot of this stuff and a lot of these ideas. But in the end, his campaign setting was Blackmore. And that's kind of what 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 was the impetus for what became D&D. 
the group that he's now passed, obviously, but the same group has been playing with a lot of the same people for over 50 years on a regular basis, you know? And they have characters like the first dwarf of Blackmore, you know, the, <laughs> the first wizard ever of Blackmore, right? Like, but for over 50, it's their whole life they've been doing this, you know? Hey, man, well, it's all a story you're telling with your friends. Yeah. Yeah. Um, two fast points. Um, one, from a business perspective, uh, obviously widening your clientele base is the most obvious good decision for any business model I can think of. So that's, there's some uh, excellence there. But as far as playing a character for that long, I mean, listen, I am prepared to play. Like, I ran campaigns back when there was level capped. I'm like, what, 20th level? Let's make it 30. Is it 30? Let's make it 40. Spoiler <laughs> alert, guys. I'm not even going to stop you at 20. We can keep on this train until we're sick of it. I'm fine with that. But there is a point. I mean, I have to say, though, with that said, I have had characters who hit a, a, a level where it's like you need to start something new because they've just become so established and yeah. so powerful that the, the, every solution, every problem is, okay, well, there's this new threat. Well, I'm just going to find it and kill it. Okay, well, you did that. <laughs> Time for lunch. <laughs> well, and not to bring Skyrim in again, but I know if you played a lot of Skyrim, you, you hit the point probably before the end of the game where whatever your go-to attack was just killed whatever you were fighting. I mean, the night. Mm. Yeah, uh, you know, I never ran into the Ebony Knight. Maybe I didn't play long enough. I do, I do hit a, I do kind of hit a boredom cap before that. I had like three characters, but even so, like another wizard character I played, he had, he got to a point where basically fireball, 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 finished everything. You know, if it took more than four fireballs, it was, it was really tough. And even then, the sixth one was going to get it. <laughs> now, now that that Ebony Knight, man, I got to tell you, like that that battle, he he's a character who appears to challenge you when you're level 80, if you're not familiar with who I'm talking about. And really, when you you meet him up on this mountaintop in this epic struggle, and then let's just start playing the Rocky music in the background in this fight. Like, I had a sword <laughs> that if I nicked something, it would ca- burst into flames and be electrocuted. It had fire and electricity on it. Like, nothing could even take one or two hits. And I'm slamming into this guy. Like, I'm chopping out of trees. Like, eh, ow, ow. I'm like, what do you mean, ow? <laughs> You're just breaking the physics of this game. But uh, Wasn't uh, one of his things, though, damage reflection? I thought that was part of the problem with yes, fighting the Ebony Knight. He had damage reflection, he, a bazillion hit points, yeah. mad skills. He was a bastard. And so there you go. That's that's what you, you really want to challenge your high-level players, have something that reflects the damage back at them. There, there you, you go. go. Done. Take, take the lesser from Skyrim. You know, bring out bring out the Ebony Knight. And yeah, whatever you do to me, he's he's rubber. Your your you know he's rubber. Your character is glue. Whatever you do to him is going to do back to you worse. It's going to stick on you. All right, guys. So we've been at this for a little while. Um, what do you think? Let's round up on some last thoughts here. I mean, for me, it's really just, you know, uh, you know, I'm happy for these changes, and I really think that any any DM who feels like this limits their ability to use quote evil bad guys or like an evil group. I just don't think you're thinking it through well enough. You know, it's people in your game need to be evil because of logical game build, world building reasons, not because of how they're born. Um, for me, that's 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 the big takeaway. If, yeah, for the uh, same way, if there's uh, we this is an evolving game. It always has been the game we're playing now. Half the stuff in it didn't even exist when it was first out. So um, but if there are people that there is actually a, a a boundary for them, an impediment for them enjoying what this game can bring, then change whatever it might be that's the impediment. Like why why is the, why should that be as big a, uh, an issue? And yeah, I I agree with you, Thorne. If uh, if you can't figure out evil bad guys from this, then you're not paying attention. You know, you're not you're not trying hard enough. So, um, but yeah, and I just. Uh, you know, keep keep your game open. Keep your table open. You never know who's going to show up and who might become a lifelong fan of RPGs. And it might be the person you never would have thought of. So. Or a lifelong or friend. And, yeah, and that's pretty okay. much if they're at your table, they're a friend at that point. I, I, you know, I really haven't seen it gone any other way. I'm happy for anything that expands character creation because it's one of the most fun parts of the game. Yeah, and there was times where it we were really constricted 
in the previous editions and as we've progressed in the systems, it's gotten more open-minded to what you can do. And I look at these character options out of 5th edition, and I'm like, yeah, I can really – like now I'm not stuck in that – and any molds from six characters ago. It doesn't feel old hat, and like I said earlier – the game's got to have magic. It's got to be fresh. It's got to be interesting to keep everybody invested in it. Mm. Change change helps with that change. And that way change is good. So, all right, mm. guys, you know, thank you very much. I had a great time talking about this. You know, some, some, some heavy issues for our gaming podcast. But I think, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it, 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 it was, I had a lot of fun just chatting it over with you. Absolutely. Good stuff. My pleasure, guys. So, and for all of you listening, thank you very much for sticking with us through this episode of Three Wise DMs. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, topics you'd like us to cover, please drop us a line on threewisedms.com or on our Facebook page, Twitter page, or our Instagram account. Uh, we're interacting on all those channels, so anywhere you want to drop us a line, we're, we're, we'd love to hear from you. And there is, in fact, a suggestion box right on the website, so if you'd like to hear us talk about anything, a problem you have in your game, an issue you think is interesting, something you want to hear our perspective on, please stop by the website and just leave us a comment, or you can even email us at threewisedms at gmail.com. That's it for today. You can follow us anywhere podcasts are served if you want to hear this every week. See you next time at Three Wise DMs. Thank you.